Welcome back to the Grand Valley Church Podcast, a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope this message helps you meet Jesus and grow in faith. When we uh, talk about something here, we like to talk about it in a sermon series. We like to take a big concept and break it down into a couple of weeks and tackle it that way so that we can kind of take a concept and just dwell and sit in it for a few moments. And I want to start with this question for you to say, do you remember the first time that you ever stepped into a church? Now, some of you might be thinking, yeah, it was about 30 minutes ago. And if that's the case, that is great. We are so thankful. We're happy that you're here with us. Even if you're saying, no, I just came because I heard there was a potluck, we're still happy that you're here. And we hope that this is a time where you get to connect and learn a bit about our, a bit about our church. But maybe if you've been at church for a while, maybe the, your first time visiting a church was a long time ago, can you think back to that? What did you expect when you walked into a church for the first time? Well, what thoughts were kind of going through your head? Because you walk into this building that maybe you've never been in before, and you look around and you see it seems like everyone knows everyone else, and you're like, well, well where do I fit in? Where, where's this? And then if you have kids, you take them to a kid zone area, and you drop off your kids with someone you've never seen before, which would seem kind of crazy. But just so you know, anyone in an orange shirt here, anyone with those orange shirts that say kid zone, they are screened, they are trained. We care deeply about your kids' safety, so you don't have to be thinking, oh, wait a second, maybe I should have been concerned about that. No, no, no. Our kids are having an awesome time in Kid Zone. In fact, I think we've had a couple adults try to sneak in at, into Kid Zone because of what's been going on over there. But you come into then you come into this room and everyone stands together and sings and there's songs you've probably never heard before and then some guy gets up that starts to talk and you're like, "Well, why should we even listen to him? Like why is he the one with the microphone?" See, your first time walking into a church there can be a lot of kind of, this feels complicated or this feels confusing or maybe there's a lot of questions running through your mind. But today what we're doing in this series is we're starting a series called Simple Church. Following Jesus doesn't have to be complicated. Our faith doesn't need to be complicated. In fact, we can take our faith and if we look at it simply, there are some beautiful and wonderful things that we can discover and we can find in that. And so for this series, we're going to talk about four simple things that will help us understand faith better, whether you've been walking in faith for a long time or if you're checking things out or you're on the fence. We want to help you understand why faith matters and why we think this is important. And so with this, there's a foundational layer. We're going to talk about four things that are not sequential. This is not steps A, B, C, and D do in order. These are four things that anyone can do. But underneath all of that is a foundation. And this foundation is something core that we want everyone to understand and everyone to know. And that is simply this. God loves you. A lot of times, faith, we feel like it's this big, complicated thing, but what we need to understand is underneath everything, underneath everything God has ever done, everything we just sung about together, is this foundational truth, God loves you. In fact, the apostle Paul, he lived in the first century, and he was one of the first church planters who traveled, and he wrote the letters that make up the bulk of our New Testament When he was writing to a church in Rome, a church he longed to visit, but everything had always kind of prevented him from getting there. And so he wrote this letter, and he, he said this in it, Romans 8. He says, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. And he goes on and on, and he lists every possible objection that someone could have to say what would hold them back from love. 
You might think, you know, God can't love me because of what I've done in my past. God can't love me because of that. And God says, no, I love you because of that. I love you even, be, even despite everything. You might think, I'm not worthy of being loved. And God says, no, you are worthy because I made you. You are worthy because I give you worth. No matter who you are, no matter whether you're close to God or far from him, God gives you worth. And you might think, God can't love me because, you know, he can't forgive me. God can always forgive. And so there's this foundational truth underneath faith, underneath everything that God is, is the simple truth that God loves you. And that's the foundation for this whole series. You're going to hear me keep repeating that because this is the starting point. This is faith at its most simple point, is saying, I'm choosing to put my trust in God because he loves me more than I could ever know. And even if you've walked with faith for a long time, there's always a more depth to God's love that we don't understand always, but we can keep going further and further and further in that. And as a church, this is one of our core beliefs, is that we believe every person deserves an opportunity to know just how much God loves them. And so we want to tell people that constantly because we believe you deserve to know how deeply God loves you. Every person deserves that opportunity. And this goes all the way back, all the way back to the very last thing that Jesus told his disciples before he returned to heaven. And he met with his disciples. There was just a small group of them left after Jesus' death and his resurrection before his ascension. And Jesus says this to his disciples. He tells them this this statement that is, is so complex. We're going to unpack it a little bit together. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So he tells this group that's kind of scared and hiding out and doesn't know what they're, what's going on next. He says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you. And not only that, you're going to tell people about me. You're going to be my witnesses. And Jerusalem is the city where they are. Judea is the area around the city. Samaria is the, you know, the province they wouldn't go to, kind of like Saskatchewan after a banjo bowl, maybe. I don't know. I don't follow football, so I might be totally off on that. Throughout Samaria, and then to this big one, to the ends of the earth. From the very beginning, this moment, that time, is the birthplace of the church, when the church has its beginning. From the very beginning, the church's focus is to share God's love to the ends of the earth, to everyone. Why? So that we can be in a relationship with the one who created us, with the one who loves us so deeply. And a lot of times a message would end with that, but we want to go further. What's next? What's next? What do we do after we've recognized how much God loves us? What's next? What do we, what's the next step after that? See, God's desire is to lead us on a journey that takes us closer to him. God's desire is to take us from wherever we are when he meets us, wherever's going on in our life, whatever situation we're in, whatever we're facing, God wants to take us from that point and lead us closer towards him. So that's the foundation of this, that God wants to pull us closer to him. And so this is our focus for today. We're talking about this. Everyone can grow. If we want to take our church, if we want to take what it means to follow Jesus and boil it down to the simplest possible thing, we start with this. Everyone can grow. And so I want to introduce a term to you, and it's a term you've probably already heard before, and it's just simply this one. It says disciple. 
And the disciple is a person who is learning the way of Jesus. And so we know that Jesus had like this group of disciples that were with him. And we might know some things about them, and we're going to dive into that today. But there's something about this definition that stands out to me that I really like. It's a person who is learning the way. Those two words, the way of Jesus. See, when the church began, when the disciples started going and preaching and telling people about how much God loved them and telling them that Jesus was the fulfillment of all their promises, that Jesus was the Messiah who came to save the world, they were known as followers of the way. That was the name for it at the beginning. And it wasn't until about 17 years after Jesus' death and resurrection that that term Christian started getting applied to this group of people that previously were called followers of the way. And I actually like this definition, the way, a little better because the moment we see the way, we recognize that is a path. That is a journey. If we talk about Christian, that sounds more like a status. You either are or you aren't. But when we recognize that when this began, it was about are we learning the way of Jesus? It's about saying, is our faith taking us on a journey? Is our faith taking us somewhere? Is our faith leading us closer to God? And so let's talk about these early disciples of Jesus. All four Gospels that we have, the first four books of your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are accounts of Jesus' life. And two of them, Matthew and John, the first and the fourth one, were written by eyewitnesses. Those two of the guys were two of Jesus' disciples. And then we have the other two Gospels. We have Mark and Luke. And Mark was a traveling companion of Peter, one of the other disciples. And so Mark recalls Peter's account of following and walking with Jesus. And then Luke, after a little later on, was commissioned to go and interview as many eyewitnesses of Jesus he could and compile together all the stories of Jesus so that we would know what is true about Jesus and what isn't. And so Luke had that task, and then later on he wrote a second book called Acts, which is the story of the church after the Gospels end. And so all four of these Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, contain this story at the beginning, and they talk about the disciples that Jesus gathered. First there was a group of 12, and then there was also a larger group of 72, and then there was times where there was large, massive crowds of thousands of people following Jesus. But we want to focus on just the 12 for a moment. And look at their beginning. And this is kept in all four of the Gospels because it's so important to the beginning of Jesus' story. One day, Matthew 4, verse 18, one day, Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Peter is the name that that we kind of keep holding to. Simon was his original name, and Jesus renames him Peter later on. And Jesus calls out to them. He says, come, follow me. I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Now, when we read this, there's a question that often comes to our mind. Why did they drop everything to follow Jesus? Why? What what was in it for them? Why did they make this choice? And if we dive into what we know about first century Judea, what we know about this area around Galilee, there's a couple things that we can discover about Peter and Andrew And then also about the rest of the disciples, about why they would choose to put everything behind and follow Jesus. And so one of the things we know about them is their age. We can kind of make an uh, educated guess at their age. 
Peter and Andrew are probably between 13 and 19 years old at this time. And we guess 13 because they're not with their father or an uncle. They're old enough to be working on the Sea of Galilee, which is not a very safe sea to work on. So they've got to have some experience and some knowledge. So they're, they're about probably 13 as the youngest Andrew could be because he's the younger of the two. And Peter's probably a little older, maybe 15, maybe 17, somewhere around that. Oldest he could be is about 19. And the reason we know the oldest he could be is 19 is because later on in the Gospels, Jesus and his disciples go to the temple of Jerusalem together. And on every male over the age of 20, when you came to the temple, you had to pay a temple tax. It was one coin that you had to pay if you were over the age of 20. And when Jesus and his disciples come to the temple, someone tries to trap them and says, goes to the group of disciples and says, hey, is your teacher going to pay the tax to the temple that he owes? And the disciples are like, well, I don't know. And so they go to Jesus, and Jesus tells Peter, he says, yes, we'll pay the tax. Go down to the lake, throw in a line, and you'll catch a fish that has a coin in its mouth worth two silver coins. Two coins, the tax was one coin. And Jesus says, this is to pay your tax and mine, not the rest of the disciples. So at that point, Jesus and Peter are the only two over the age of 20 at the end of their of Jesus, near the end of Jesus' ministry. So we know that at this moment when Jesus approaches Peter and Andrew, these guys are young. Jesus had the first youth group, really. These guys are teenagers. When he calls them and says, follow me. And we know something else about their society because we know that these are good Jewish boys. They grew up in the Jewish education system. And so by this point, by 13 years old, they would have a working knowledge of their Torah, which is the first five books of our Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They would have those, you know, maybe close to memorized, which is pretty impressive, a fact, just at that. Now, they may not have been literate, but they would have known it through oral tradition, through being verbally taught it, and they would know the stories of their people. And so what would happen is, as these guys were growing up, they would have all been taught that. The, the boys were taught this, and fortunately at the time, girls weren't. But the boys were taught this. And at age 13, a local rabbi, that's a a teacher of the Jewish law, would interview every single 13-year-old boy. And it was part of kind of their assessment of, have you learned our history well? Have you learned our scriptures well? And if, if, just maybe, this 13-year-old boy being interviewed by a Jewish rabbi showed some real potential, showed some promise, showed that he understood it, that he could memorize it, that he knew well, The rabbi would say to him, come and be my disciple. And instantly, that boy would leave his family at age 13, and he would become a disciple of that rabbi and would travel with that rabbi and learn everything he could from that rabbi. Because the rabbi is saying to that kid at 13 years old, you can do what I'm doing. You can come and do this. And so the fact that Peter and Andrew are in their family trade fishing over the age of 13 means they didn't make the cut. They were told at some point by a rabbi, you don't make the cut. Go back and learn your father's trade. See, that was a moment that would have been very defining for them because they would have saying, you know, I want to be a rabbi. I want to know God. I want to teach God to people. I want to know our scriptures and to be told by a rabbi you look up to, no, you don't make the cut. Go back. Learn your family trade. Go be fishermen. So when Jesus shows up and he says to these two guys, come and follow me, 
He's saying something to them. He is saying that he sees something in them that those other rabbis didn't. See, when Jesus invites them to be a disciple, that is a declaration of their potential. Jesus sees a potential in them that they don't see themselves, that their society didn't see. But Jesus says, I see that you have something. And so Jesus invites these guys and they drop their fishing nets. And in fact, their community would have celebrated this. Like their father wouldn't have been, oh man, I lost my two best fishermen, I lost my two sons. It would have been, no, these guys are going to follow a rabbi. They're going to teach the people about God. They would have celebrated and thrived and loved that fact. And so these two guys drop everything. Just two of the 12 that dropped everything they had and would follow Jesus as his disciple. Now, one of the things that's, that's interesting is as we read through the Gospels, we get to see their journey from teenagers that were told they didn't make the cut into being disciples. And one of the things that, that we kind of look at the Gospels and we sometimes find some comfort in this is the fact that the disciples didn't always get things right. In fact, Jesus constantly had to correct them, be like, no, 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 that's not what I said. No, 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 that's not how it is. And he had to correct them. He had to, to constantly reshape them and guide them to say, no, no, this is what we're going towards. It was not just, oh, you're in, you understand everything. It was this constant journey of kind of guiding and shaping. This is, this is mentorship on a whole nother level, being a disciple of a rabbi. But we often look at that and we say, hey, this is kind of great because being a disciple of Jesus means we aren't always going to get it right. And one of the things we can take comfort in in that, because we know our mistakes, we know that sometimes we get things wrong, we know often, you know, we make mistakes and it hurts other people. But Jesus always, whenever he corrected them, he did it lovingly. In fact, the only times that Jesus ever spoke harshly was to the religious leaders or at times to the disciples when they really got something wrong and Jesus says, no, 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 that's not how it is. But he always corrects them and brings them around to what the right direction is, to what Jesus is trying to take. And so being a disciple doesn't mean we're always going to get it right. And that means we have to have grace for one another in our spiritual growth. That someone who is just starting, the, starting their journey, and, and I think it's, it's, it was intentional on Jesus' part that he got all his disciples together at the same time so they would grow together with one another. So that they would have this shared experience of going deeper in their faith. But being a disciple of Jesus means we're choosing to move in the right direction. It means we're choosing to be on this journey that God has called us towards his love, towards his presence, towards a deeper relationship with him. It is a choice to be on a journey, a choice to be moving, not just a choice of status. In fact, later on, we're going to return to Paul for a moment. And one of the letters that he wrote to the church of Philippi, it's in our Bible called Philippians. And I'm going to jump to a different translation on this one because it just captures what Paul's saying in a way that's just unique and grabs us. And Paul is writing this letter in, and he is like, he's pretty much a celebrity in the church. Like, Paul would have shunned and would have hated that term. But like, everyone was like, what does Paul say about this issue? We got a problem? We got to find out what Paul says. He's going to solve our problem. And in fact, most of the letters that Paul wrote were responses to issues and problems happening in the churches that Paul planted. And so people would always be like, well, what's Paul going to say about this? What's Paul going to say about this? Because he's got the answers. He knows it. He's got the, the truth. And Paul tells the Philippian church this. He says, I am not saying that I have this all together, that I have it made. 
but I am well on my way. Hey, that word popped up again. I am well on my way reaching out for Christ who has so wondrously reached out for me. See, he's saying, I'm reaching for Christ constantly. I don't have it all together. He's saying, don't put me on a pedestal. Don't expect that I know all the answers. He says, but I am on my way reaching for Christ who is reaching out for me. See, Jesus came into the world as God's way of reaching out to all of us to make a way open for us to be in a relationship with God. God has already been reaching out to us constantly. He is always pursuing us. And Paul says we respond by reaching out back towards God. And then he goes on in the next two verses. He says, friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all this. He's really trying to drive that point home. He says, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. See, Jesus, or Paul, has his eye on Jesus. He has his eye on the goal where he's trying to get to. And see, what he's saying in this is that we need to measure things differently. We need to measure our speed more than our distance. We need to recognize that progress is more important than position. Oftentimes, we look at faith with God. We look at what it means to be a disciple, and we think, well, have I reached this point? As if there's some sort of like level one, level two, level three thing. There isn't. Just toss that idea out. All there is, is there is God who has done everything to reach out to us, and he is inviting us to reach back to him. And so when we look at our own spiritual journey, when we look at our own lives, we need to make this choice to say what matters more is what's the speed we're traveling at than the position where we are, than the distance we've traveled. Is our progress more important than our position? Because when we take that mentality, we're taking this mentality that Paul's trying to teach the Philippian church of saying, there is a goal. That goal is to be like Jesus. That goal is to become like the one who made us. See, when we pursue spiritual growth, it always leads to less of me and more of Jesus. Jesus is a lot more patient than Brian is. Jesus is a lot more kind and loving than Brian is. Jesus is a lot more forgiving than Brian is. Jesus is a lot more gracious than Brian is. You can put your own name in there. Jesus is a lot more than what we are. And choosing spiritual growth is choosing to say, Jesus, I'm going to let you replace me. I'm going to let your love replace my ability to love others. I'm going to let your grace replace my ability to show grace. I'm going to let your forgiveness replace my limited ability to show forgiveness. Because that's what Jesus was doing with his disciples. In fact, there was a saying, it was a blessing that the disciples of one rabbi would say to the disciples of another rabbi. They would say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And what they mean by that, what that phrase means, you're like, may you be dirty? What? No, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi means may you walk so closely behind your teacher that you are covered by everything they kick up. Would you look indistinguishable from your teacher? That's what spiritual growth is. That's what God is calling us to. Are we willing to choose that we want less of me and more of Jesus? See, as a church, we believe this to our very core. 
In fact, it's right in our mission statement as a church, what we believe. We say we, we're here. Grand Valley Church exists for the reason to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. For us to be able to recognize how deeply God loves everyone, how deeply God wants to be in a relationship with everyone. And so we want to lead people toward Jesus. But we don't stop there. We want that to be a growing relationship with Jesus. So if we take faith and we break it down to as simply as we can, it's about this, that pursuing Jesus is what matters the most. Following Jesus isn't a complicated thing. It's a choice to grow and be transformed. It's a choice to say, am I moving in the direction that God wants me to move in? Am I choosing to say that because of God's love, I want to experience his love fully? I want to take the parts of me that are separating, that are hindering my walk with God, and I want to figure out how to do away with those, to let God replace those things so that we can walk deeper in a relationship with him. And so rather than saying, where am I at? I want you to ask this question. Am I further in my spiritual journey than I was a week, a month, or a year ago? Am I further now than I was before? That's the only question that matters because that's the question that leads us to growth. That's the question that leads us to move forward. And you might be sitting here and you might have the question that all of us have. Every one of us will ask this question whether we're aware of it or not. We will say, what if I feel stuck? What if I feel like I'm not moving? What if I feel like I've just been stagnant? I've just been coasting. Nothing's really changed. Nothing's really developed. Nothing's really been different. This is just where I am and I feel stuck. You gotta ask yourself, where's your foot? Is your foot on the gas? Or is your foot sitting on the brake? Because the limiting piece is actually us. See, God will never force you to grow but he will put opportunities for growth in your path. But every single time, it is up to us to choose, are we going to respond to that opportunity or are we going to push it aside and let it go? When Jesus met those two disciples, when he met Peter and Andrew, he put an opportunity in front of them. He didn't force them to follow him. They could have said no and then it probably wouldn't have been in the Bible, maybe. I don't know. But he put an opportunity in front of them saying, you could come and follow me. You could be like me. You could teach people the way I teach. You could tell people about God the way I tell people about God. That is what God is saying to all of us now. So what do you do if you feel stuck? There's no magic formula to growth. But there are practices that we can do, and we're going to explore some of these through the rest of this series as we talk about how do we take following Jesus and break it down into what is simple and easy for us to follow. What can you do if you feel feel stuck? First thing is start with learning scripture. Am I spending time in God's word? Even one verse a day. You can download the YouVersion Bible app, and when you pop it open, there's a verse of the day on the screen. Start there. Start small. Start simple. Take that time. Read that verse. Reflect on it. What does this mean? The next thing you can do if, if, if this is a journey you're on to always look at is to say, are you willing to explore baptism? Oftentimes we think baptism and we treat it like one of those milestone things. Like we treat it as like, I have to reach level whatever before I can be baptized. That's actually not the way that scripture taught baptism. The way scripture taught baptism was the moment you said, you know what, I'm going to choose to put my faith in Jesus. 
I'm going to choose to trust Jesus, they baptized you instantly. And they said, you're making a declaration to follow Jesus. You don't have to have it all together. Jesus baptized, or Jesus' disciples baptized people that did not have their lives together. But he baptized them because they were choosing to start a journey. And so if baptism interests you, it's one of the checkboxes on that Connect card you got on your way in. And I want to encourage you to check that off, and, and I'll have a coffee with you, or one of our elders will have a coffee with you, and we'll talk about exploring baptism as part of our spiritual growth. Then there's what we're going to talk about next week, joining a life group, choosing to put yourself in a position where you're going to have conversations about faith with people. That's what life groups are about. The next thing that we're going to do is the week after that, we're going to talk about prayer, and we're going to talk about communion. We're going to talk about how do we actually talk with God, not just to God, but how do we talk with God? How did God design prayer to be a two-way communication? And we're going to celebrate communion together. And for the last week of the series, the last simple thing that we're going to break down and look at is serving each other. God created us to serve, not to be served, but to serve one another. And when we choose to serve one another with our lives, God meets us in that and provides opportunities for growth that will shock you when you realize the way that he transforms our hearts when we put others first. It's exactly how Jesus lived. That's why God came into earth to do this. So you've got to ask this question. What's the opportunity in front of you that you need to take? What's the opportunity that might be unique and different for each one of us in this room? But the simple truth is this. Everyone can grow. That's how God made us. He didn't make us to stay stagnant. He created us to grow. So let me end with a prayer. God, thank you so much that you care so deeply about growth, that you meet us wherever we are, and you want to lead us closer to you. And so, Lord, we come before you, and we want to ask you for growth, for growth within ourselves, that we would be able to become more like you and represent who you are and less of ourselves. Lord, if some of us here are just on the fence and we're like, I don't know about this faith thing. And so, God, my prayer is that this week you would be revealing your love, that you would be revealing your heart, that you'd be revealing how deeply you care for each one of us. Would you make us aware of the moments when you are already showing your love to us? And God, would that lead us into a relationship with you that takes us deeper and further on the journey closer to you. So Lord, we ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So folks, next week, we're going to do the next week of the series. We're going to continue Simple Church for this month. We hope this message helped you to take the next step in your faith journey. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 11 a.m. You can find out more about us by going to mygrandvalley.ca.